welcome to this episode of AMLE's Research to Practice podcast. I'm your host, David Virtue, a professor of middle grades education at Western Carolina University and editor of AMLE's research journal, Research in Middle-Level Education Online. I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Maxey, Director of Strategic Initiatives for Tuscaloosa City Schools in Alabama and a member of AMLE's Board of Trustees. The purpose of this podcast series is to highlight recent research published in Research in Middle-Level Education Online and to discuss its implications for the education of young adolescents in middle-level schools and classrooms. Andrew, in this episode, we're focusing on an article titled Self-Regulation Challenges and Supports in Middle-Level Education, Health Education Teachers and School Counselors' Views, published in the June 2023 issue of Remley Online. The authors investigated health education teachers and school counselors' views of their students' challenges and the strategies they use to support students' social and emotional development. I want to start by stating the obvious. School-based interventions that focus on social-emotional learning is an important, timely topic for middle-level education research. You are so right, David. We are recording on the heels of an amazing AMLE 50th anniversary conference Mm -hmm. and celebration where this was a very hot topic. In this study, the authors posed three research questions. Number one, how do health education teachers and school counselors describe their students' social, emotional, and behavioral challenges? Number two, What concerns do educators have about their students' self-regulation skills? And number three, in what ways do educators provide support for students in developing self-regulation skills? Yeah, we've got a lot to unpack here. So let's just jump right in and, and take a quick look at the design of the study and then we'll circle back to the, the findings and implications. So the authors recruited 24 participants from three diverse rural schools in the southeastern United States. The sample included 16 middle-level health education teachers and eight school counselors. The research team conducted 16 focus groups as well as individual interviews with the participants. Now, focus groups are essentially group interviews that give the researchers an efficient way to get the perspective of multiple people all at once. They conducted a qualitative analysis of the transcripts and used qualitative uh, software to do that. Uh, The qualitative analysis generally involves identifying themes and narrative data finding keywords, key phrases, highlighting recurrent words and phrases that come out in the interview transcripts. Typically in qualitative research, this is an iterative process. So the researchers systematically conduct multiple rounds of analysis until no new themes emerge. In this study, there were multiple researchers. So the team double-coded and analyzed a quarter of the transcripts to establish inter-rater reliability, and they calculated a percent agreement for the themes. And this was a really good strategy to to really improve the the reliability of of the analysis process. So on average, they achieved more than 97% across the double-coded transcripts. And that high level of reliability helps us as the consumers of the study 
feel confident that the researchers found what they said they found. Wow. Okay. So someone who has a little experience in research design application, uh, this seems like a very solid design and a great set of results. You are someone who has extensive experience and expertise. Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think this is a well-designed study. Um, and of course, you know, despite the strong design, rigorous methods, like all studies, there are limitations. The authors identify and disclose those. So things like the small sample size, the fact that they all came from uh, a similar area, all the participants, uh, as well as the potential for bias on the per- part of the participants who voluntarily participated and therefore may be more inclined to to respond in certain ways. Absolutely. The authors aligned their report of findings with three the three research questions. Mm-hmm. Yep. First, regarding the context for student challenges, the participants identify salient aspects of the complex social ecologies that their middle-level students were navigating. They attributed the students' self-regulation challenges to school and academic pressures, social media and technology use, peer relationships, and home influences. Mm-hmm. Second, second question, regarding self-regulation areas of concern, participants saw students' level or stage of development as a challenge, as well as students' ability to manage their impulses and emotions. Mm-hmm. Then third, in regards to the third research question, regarding approaches for supporting self-regulation, participants described their roles for supporting students in both formal and informal ways, including through day-to-day interactions and direct skills instruction, supportive classroom environments, and positive relationships with students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really a uh, rich set of findings, and um, I, I'm really intrigued by the findings regarding the support for self-regulation and mm-hmm. how the these these day-to-day interactions, how, how they, they see sort of these opportunistic moments to support students reminds me of a concept John Lounsbury introduced years ago called wayside teaching, finding those, those sort of serendipitous moments, whether it's during class when something arises and you have an opportunity to uh, take a a student aside and, 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 and teach an important lesson or just in the hallway. uh, But finding those opportunities. Um, Another strength of this study, I think is the focus on the perspectives of health education teachers and school counselors. Now, the health education literature has uh, a, a rich liter- rich research liter- literature supporting it, as well as school counseling. But in the, for lack of a better word, you know, like mainstream middle-level research tend to focus on the f- four core content areas and work in those areas. So it's refreshing to see the perspectives of these other important educators in in the middle middle grade school community um, foregrounded in this study um, what about the implications for practice and you know by practice I'm thinking about the people who are responsible for professional learning because clearly that's one of the one of the findings here is that there's there's uh, much to learn about how to support students in this area what implications does this have? for specific supports for health education teachers, school counselors, and and really all of us who work with young adolescents. 
Frank, frankly, David, I don't know if there's a topic that's more relevant to public schools today. Let's check our context, which, you know, we like to do here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Today, 2023, the global COVID pandemic is basically over as far as those of us who aren't medical professionals are concerned. However, we're just beginning to feel the significant and far-reaching effect that that world event has had on all of us and on young people in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. Uh, look at current research on, on brain development, psychology, human psychology, trauma, you know, other areas of, of, of human studies. Uh, this is really an unprecedented opportunity to better understand humans and how we react to trauma, specifically mm-hmm. because we all had these traumatizing experiences within this relatively mm-hmm. short window of time. And for children and young adolescents, the impact of, of the global pandemic and all those related events is clearly magnified significantly today. I, let me tell you, as someone who works in a school district and is in schools a lot of the time, I, I, for sure we are experiencing a reality that all students experience trauma over the last few years and the impact on schools and the adults who work in them, I just don't think you can overstate that. Uh, So first of all, for a long time, schools have just been required, like compelled to deal with a lot more than teaching and learning. Uh, Schools have become a place where a long list of students' needs are addressed. Um, Sometimes those needs are referred to as ACEs, so adverse childhood experiences. And Almost all young children experience something traumatic from time to time. But when a specific individual experiences multiple traumatic events in a short span of time, and then particularly when they are not provided supports to cope with those experiences, that trauma starts to manifest itself in ways that directly interferes with learning, and in addition to other unhealthy behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so schools have to be really well prepared to support students who live through this pandemic. Well, so you would assume that schools are already ready, but uh, the issue is that schools have developed the capacity to support a quote unquote normal or a typical number of students that have this level of trauma. But that's usually a, a, a small percentage of a student body. Today, we're in a situation where all students are coping with some sort of trauma. Even the students who are doing very well in school have had these experiences and have experienced some trauma. Mm. Yeah, the, the more we talk about this, the more I'm convinced this is a very, very timely issue um let's let's circle back to what the authors had to say about the implications for practice as we were talking about earlier sure sure so the authors concluded the study with a call for professional development opportunities for health educators and school counselors these offerings should support them those professionals in providing students with intentional direct instruction in self-regulation skills, help health educators create supportive classroom environments, and encourage 
educators to provide co-regulation support to facilitate students' cognitive, social, and emotional well-being. The authors were clear about the need for PD that promotes an assets-based view of young adolescents, emphasizing, for example, positive or adaptive changes of the adolescent brain, such as cognitive flexibility in responding to social, social and motivational context, rather than dwelling on negative characteristics like impulsivity. Mm-hmm. Forgive me, but I just I, I want to I, I want to press in on this this issue that um, we we do have, and and we we're in agreement that we have a great deal of respect for these professionals in schools, for school counselors, and for health educators, and they all have been trained in what they do, but quote unquote, what they do. So a health educator is providing instruction in a, in a admittedly uh, a complex area of learning for students. And then counselors, by the way, school counseling is less about what we think of as a counselor. So someone who counsels you and more about giving students tools to navigate through school, right? So some of those practices, a school counselor may not even have time in their school week to do those things. And they are certainly not equipped or trained usually to handle extreme trauma. And then even if they are, they don't have the bandwidth to support an entire building full of students. Mm -hmm. So for me, these recommendations by the authors are dead on and it's very timely right now that the people in schools have almost literally not been trained on how to handle this amount Mm -hmm. of trauma in their students and the the volume of support students need so it's not that the adults can't help the children it's that the needs have been magnified and amplified over Mm -hmm. the last few years and unfortunately, what we do see is a lot of that burden does fall to school counselors. Even within a school, others will assume, well, the counselor knows about that. And, and that's not always the case, or that is often not the case. So uh, for me, I, I, I really want to underscore and applaud the authors for this call to action. And I, I think they've gotten it exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I recall, too, that the the health educators, even though some of this content intersects with with their curriculum, uh, the the issue that that the curriculum can be very uh, constrained or right. or prescriptive, and so um, they don't feel that they have the flexibility to deal with some right. of these issues in 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 ways that'll be most helpful to the kids. So let me, let me just interject one, sure. one more thing here, which is as adherents, disciples of uh, young adolescents and the research we know, um, modern day public schools, we are overly focused on one area of development in students, which is their academic development. Mm-hmm. But as researchers and even as practitioners, we know as fact that you cannot develop adequately well in any one area if the other areas are ignored. So if we do not invest heavily 
in, in the adults who are supporting the emotional development of students and the social development of students, how can we expect that the academic development of students will come along in ways that we're looking for? So again, just circling back to kudos to these authors who are joining the course of folks saying, if you want academic outcomes, you can't have them unless you attend to these other needs that our students are exhibiting. Yes, absolutely. Um, Andrew, I think we're going to, um, we're going to close there. I mean, this is, this is obviously a topic, again, as we said earlier, that was front and center at AMLE, really a hot topic. Um, And I want our listeners to know that there's lots of resources at amle.org that can help them explore this topic further. I would encourage them to do so. Uh, So this concludes our episode on self-regulation challenges and supports in middle-level education. The article was published in the June 2023 issue of Research in Middle-Level Education Online, Volume 46, Issue 6. I want to thank our listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of AMLE's Research to Practice podcast. We encourage you to read the complete articles featured in the podcast, which are available online through our publishing partner, Taylor and Francis. You can easily find links to research and middle-level education online and other AMLE periodicals under the Resources tab at amle.org. Thanks again for listening and for all you do to improve the school experiences of young adolescent learners.